you guys want to come, that would be great. And so anyway, um, the message I have to share with you today may seem a little heavy to most of you. However, I do feel it's an important subject that needs to be addressed. These thoughts, the feelings, and these questions and struggles are universal throughout the world no matter where you are. So I apologize ahead of time if it seems like I'm reading, but I just want to make sure I share all that God has laid on my heart today. So, and I'm also a little nervous. So. <laughs> okay, faith is alive in Kenya, yeah? Faith is alive in the world, yeah? Yeah? Come on, let me hear it, right? Yeah? All right. Well, these past couple of years have been difficult ones for Kenya. In the past 10 months, Kenya has been the victim of 10 known violent attacks of terrorism by the Somali terrorist group Al-Shabaab. Over 100 Christians have been senselessly and mercilessly killed because, even while staring down the barrel of a loaded weapon, they refuse to denounce Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. At this moment, our Christian neighbors in the Middle East are experiencing similar, similarly horrific circumstances at the hands of the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, also known as ISIS. Entire villages and towns are being destroyed. Homes and businesses and livelihoods are being abruptly eradicated with no, absolutely no warning. Families are being torn apart. So why am I standing up here talking about faith? I think, you know, I think a better question might be, why, how, how could I possibly talk about faith at all? You know, we're in a world of heartache, turmoil, and despair. How can faith possibly exist in anything, especially and even in God? The easiest way to explain why people do the things they do is that God gives us the freedom to choose. Undoubtedly, we know this is so because God does not want to see any one of his children in pain. That's the last thing he wants to see. But to simply say it's free will, that answer doesn't give us any sustenance. It, do, it gives us the milk, but it doesn't give us the meat. Um, explaining human tragedy through free will also prevents us from looking at the bigger picture as to what God is doing. Um, <clears throat> Satan is a liar and a deceiver. As we say in Kenya, Satan is trying his level best to completely shatter all of God's good works and the most, with the most unspeakably evilest acts we've seen in a very long time in Kenya as well as the U.S. and all over the world. Um, Satan's sole purpose is for us to look at these horrific incidents and see them not only for what they are, but for to see them only for, excuse me, I'm sorry. Satan's, um, see, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me start again. Um, Satan's only purpose is for us to look at these experiences and see them for what they are, as horrific and as monst- and monstrous and evil. There's absolutely no room to see God's amazing grace in these in these instances as well, and to see what's God, what God is doing, because we're concentrating so much on the evil and how bad the situation is. We're so focused on the real and, per- and persistent threats of imminent danger that we become distracted and swayed from how God is actually taking control and using this evil for good. And acts of terrorism aren't the only tools Satan is using as instruments to spread fear. The harsh reality of Ebola and enterovirus D68 has brought fear and panic into the lives of millions. So, you know, it's very easy to look at all of this and think, how could God let this happen? Where is he in all of this, right? Um, so one of my favorite places to go is to hike in the Maasai territory. 
Um, just up the road from my house. It's one of the few places in Kenya that still exists in the same condition as God created it. So, um, that's okay. <laughs> so it's quiet, it's beautiful, and sometimes I can even see a random herd of zebra in my travels. One afternoon, after learning of yet another terrorist attack that killed scores of people, I hiked to this tree and really let God have it. I didn't hold back. I let him know how much I was struggling and how much I didn't understand why all of this was happening. And it's okay to let God have it. You know, it's okay to let loose on God because he already knows everything anyway. And he's actually really happy that you're unloading your your burdens onto him so you don't have to carry them around anymore. Sometimes God gives us what we need, what we want, and sometimes he gives us what we need. So when I went to go pray to... That, well, the tree's not there anymore. <laughs> when I went to go, when I went to go to that tree to pray, God didn't give me what I need, but he, or give me what I want. I wanted answers. I wanted Him to tell me why these things were happening, but He didn't tell me that. He just told me what I needed to hear, and what I needed to hear was that my faith in God surpasses all understanding of the world that He created, the ways of the world that He created, um, and God. And um, so no matter if we understand what's happening or not, our faith in, the, in God's ability to make something beautiful out of something indescribably evil surpasses everything. Um, the truth of the matter is there's absolutely no understanding when it comes to the works of Satan. The only sensible thing we know to be true is James 4, 7. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will, he will flee from you. In the aftermath of these attacks, we are seeing God's miracles. God is doing so much more, so many powerful things than Satan ever could. He's, he's so much more powerful than Satan ever could be because God always is always there protecting us from Satan and changing what Satan has done. More than ever before, we as a nation in Kenya and of God's children, are seeing the lines of tribalism and culture being blurred to a point of melding together into one uniform desire for positive humanity. When these attacks happen, it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, if you're Kenyan, if you're foreign, it only matters that you are a hurting human being. You're a hurting child of God. And nothing nothing else matters. And we didn't have that before. We had fighting because people were looking at different... People were fighting within themselves because they had different tribes. People were fighting foreigners because they didn't want to give into what they thought was colonialism. People were... um, Even missionaries were fighting among themselves for donations, and, and it was just... It was getting crazy. And then these things started to happen, and we noticed that it brought us back to the Word, and it brought us back to God, and it brought us back to what we were actually there to do. And that was just to help somebody because they're human, not because of their differences, but the similarity that we're all children of God. And if one of our brothers and sisters is hurting and needs something, we have to step up to the plate and help them. So that's what we've learned from all of these things. And that's what we need to, we need to focus on. Because Satan, like I said, Satan is a liar and he's a deceiver. And he will come and he will do all of these things to get us to focus on that and not on what God's doing. Satan doesn't give us a choice. He does these things. We focus on them. We don't have a choice. 
okay? It's in the news. It's in the media. We know people that have been affected. We don't have a choice. God gives us a choice. That's why it's so hard to see God's viewpoint in all of the, and what God is doing in all of this. It's, it's hard to see that because he gives us a choice to see it or not. And if we're focused on what Satan's doing, we don't choose to see what God's doing. We can't have it both ways. So that's why we as a nation and we as a community, we need to come together and we need to focus on what God is doing. There are so many times when we have these terrorist attacks, there were many, many times that I reported to the hospital because of um, immediately after these attacks to see if I could help the patients. I saw patients with incredible, gravest, horrific injuries forget their pain to reach out to somebody else to pray for them and to comfort them, you know? Um, I'm sorry, I tried not to do this, but it's, it brings tears to my eyes just to see this, you know? We as a missionary community, we stay in this country despite the imminent danger, despite the very real risk to our lives because they are targeting Christians and they are targeting foreign Christians because t- uh, tourism is one of the, um, one of the most prominent uh, uh, one of the most prominent uh, ways that Kenyan gets money is through tourism. So they're targeting foreigners and they're targeting Christians. So we have a very imminent and real danger to our lives. We could be standing in a mall one minute and the next minute be shot. We don't know. But we still stay there because this is God's plan for us. And we know this. And we know that this is God, what, where God wants us to be. And because we know that, we stay there, and we know that we will be protected. And we know that whatever happens to us, whatever happens to us will be in our best interest because we are protected by the armor of God, right? We are protected by the armor of God. And, um, and uh, yeah, this wasn't even on any of my cards. <laughs> um, we, so we, we are protected. We are protected by the armor of God, and we know, we know that if we follow the ways of Satan, we know that it, is, it will be worse, it will be much more of a hell on earth than we could ever experience by the hands of man or by the hands of disease. We know our lives will be so much worse than that. So we must follow God and we must have, we must have a belief that God knows what's right, God will protect us, and God wants us to do our calling for him. Because if we forget that, then we're just promoting what Satan is trying to, what Satan is trying to, to promote. You know, you don't know. You have absolutely no idea what God has in store for you if you give in to your fear, or if you if you don't give in to your fear. You have absolutely no idea. He could he could be planning something amazing and incredible. And if you give in to your fear, and you give in to, um. You give in to your fear and you give in to the fact that you don't want to do what God says because it's too hard. You have no idea what you're going to be missing. You have absolutely no idea. And um, I've just seen so many incredible, amazing um, things come about because people are not afraid to share God's love, mercy, and grace despite all of this. Despite all of this. You know, I've been, I've been working in the hospital now for a year and a half. I have worked with people who have had malaria, AIDS, cancer, ringworm, 
even the common cold. I have not gotten anything from the hospital. I've not been sick once, not even with a common cold, because I know that this is God's calling for me. And so I know he will protect me in every, in every step that I go in, into in that hospital. I know that he'll protect me. So, folks, that's the, that's the message that I want to portray to you. Don't be afraid to share God's love, mercy, and grace. It's, <laughs> I know this from personal experience. It's a very scary thing. It's, it's terrifying. I have never seen more acts of evil than I have in these past year and a half. But I just know that, you know, I, like I said, my life would be so much worse than whatever, whatever anybody, any man or disease could ever do if I did not follow God's love, mercy, and grace and will for my life and share, share his love with others. So that's pretty much all I have to say. <laughs> So thank you for that. Um, I'd, love, I'd like to now share with you um, a uh, something I need a little help on. Um, I feel this is a, I feel this is a God thing for me because I learned about um, a missionary retreat center in Colorado from a friend of mine, and she mentioned it to me. She didn't mention what the name was, and so I looked it up online, and I applied, and I was actually accepted, but. It wasn't the retreat center she went to. She didn't have never heard of it before in her life. So I feel like God's led me to this center. And also, the head um, clinician there has been a hospice chaplain for five and a half years, and sometimes overseas and sometimes in the States. So that's why I really feel this is a God thing. But um, I'm going to go back to my note cards. <laughs> um, living in Africa is an amazing, life-altering experience. Working side by side and sharing God's love, mercy, and grace with the Kenyan people, seeing God's beauty of the wildlife and the land, and making friends who become family are just a few of the many incredible things I experience on a daily basis. However, along with the beauty and the experience comes devastating poverty, unimaginable sadness, and unspeakable terror. As a missionary, God has blessed me with a passion for helping others. One thing I have discovered these past few months is that with the sharp increase in levels of devastation and terrorism, I've been trying to help all of the many disadvantaged men, women, and children I come across. Everyone from the dying child to the grieving mother and even a stray dog and cat or two. In my, in my head, I know that helping everyone was not in my realm of possibility as a sole missionary, but my heart went out to them and I wanted to help them as best I could. I was feeling overwhelmed, so I came back to the U.S. to spend time with my church family and to also regain my focus of God's desire for me in Kenya. I've been accepted into a critical stress debriefing program specifically for missionaries at a place called Marble Retreat in Aspen, Colorado. My prayer is that my respite at this center will help me bring better focus and clarity to my mission while at the same time provide me with God's healing grace as I work to process some difficult events of the past year. I do feel that God has provided me with some amazing blessings to know his will for me to attend this program. However, to make the process complete, I am going to be needing your help from all of you. What I need is financial assistance to cover the traveling costs as well as uh, transportation, which will total about $600. The program begins October 21st, and I need to leave for Colorado by the 19th. So I need to make travel arrangements in relatively short order. A short, relatively short order of time. After the program is complete, my plan is to return to Indiana to share with all of you, and then I will be flying out of Boston to return to Kenya on November 4th. 
I would very much like to recommit my focus and my mission to help women and children in the hospital make whatever moments they have left as blessed as possible with your help. I'm now going to show you a short video that tells you a little bit about the program. And so... suffering and uh, the ministry has just a rich rich tradition and legacy of participating in a restoration of hope and healing for the people that come telling their story is what's so healing about coming here because a lot of times they can't ha tell their story they have no place to share it and when they share it here in a safe community where they're accepted and they're responded to with love and well, understanding, because everyone who comes here has something that's causing them to suffer. It might just be great fatigue from working for years of service to God, and they come here to find relief for their fatigue. I think that's why years ago you and I became so impressed with the work of Marble Retreat. And uh, as time went by and we met people who were struggling with failures in life, uh, issues that may have even threatened their marriage or their future in any kind of leadership, that we had found a place where we could send them to and know that the folks at the Marble Retreat would provide incredible hospitality and care and answers to the kind of questions uh, that they were, were seeking. You have people who are... Um, able to deal in, with small group experience so that it's not just you as individuals but people who know how to uh, facilitate a good conversation and and not judge that's a really key thing that happens at Marvel that nobody feels like they're out on the limb and somebody may cut you off there is an acceptance and a loving atmosphere there uh, that is so necessary for us to pull the shades of our hearts up and uh, feel like I can do this and I'm willing to risk being known. Uh, we love working with people in ministry. You know, uh, pastors and missionaries have been very influential in our lives. Yes, We've been in ministry. We realize that it's a difficult job and, and that there's just a lot of wear and tear. Of course, one of the common things we see here is burnout, where people are just hitting a wall. They are emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted at times. And it's our privilege and pleasure to serve them, you know, not only through the counseling and therapy, but in the hospitality. You know. They start to look and sound more and more like a family. And uh, that, too, is a very critical component uh, as they're able to speak into each other's lives and provide encouragement and uh, even correctives uh, to one. 
the word community that's what came to my mind as well that people make lifelong friends here mm -hmm. so often couples individuals will come and say I was scared to death of the group experience I was afraid to go and experience what it would be like in the group room but then they come and they love that aspect People really found a new level of relationship to God when they were at the Marble Retreat, uh, that they understood something of, of Jesus' call in, in a refreshing new way. So they left that, that place knowing that there was hope and that there was a future and that maybe they would be more equipped than ever, uh, perhaps out of brokenness, to serve other people and to, uh, to speak very redemptive language to them. Our society... Uh, today is such a, oh, if it's broken, throw it away, get a new one. If it's old, tear it down. And unfortunately, some of our churches have adopted the very same thing. Mm -hmm. And um, we experience totally the opposite at Marble. You know, you are valuable and you are worth saving and, and all. And that was just incredible. Just an incredible experience. So many aha moments happen uh, in the beauty of our surrounding, and that's such a blessing that we get to live in this place and serve people in this environment. about the program that I've been accepted to that I'm hoping to leave for on the 19th. Um, I'd like to thank you all for in advance for your love and your prayers and your donations and also your consideration. I really hope that God blesses you all with, much, with good health and much happiness. And because I need these donations in a relatively short order amount of time, we're not going to put them in the box there. What you can do is just give them directly to Jenny Coombs. It can, um, it can be completely anonymous. Um, don't give any donations to me. Just give them directly to Jenny. Um, and uh, we have her uh, contact information here. If you'd like it, um, you can approach her after church and give that out as well. Um, so what we're going to do now is I'm actually going to tell you a little bit about what Sophie's Place has been doing this past year. Um, we've had several folks come to stay at the house, but... In the interest of time, we're just going to we're just going to share with you uh, two uh, about two in, two cases that um, have come across. So that we've come across. So first one is Edgar. And when they share it here, pictures first, and then the video last of Edgar. So um, can you? Is it okay? So this is Edgar. Um, Edgar is four years old, and when I found him, or when I was told about him, he, uh, he and his family um, live in a slum, and they used to live on a steep hill, and it had been raining, and his brother had heated fire on, a fi on, the, on the outdoor fireplace for a stove, uh, for a bath, and um, his brother called Edgar, and Edgar um, is into everything. He's very hyper. He loves to play. So he came running to his brother, and he slipped on the mud, and he slid down the hill, and this, pretend this is the fire. So he slid down, and his legs went into the fire, 
And then as he was trying to get up and he was moving around, he bumped the hot water, scalding hot water, and that came down on top of his legs. Um, so thankfully, only one leg was very seriously affected. Um, you can see, I don't know if you can see this very well, but you can see part of the burn right here. Um, so I, so we took Edgar to the hospital, and um, yeah, that's part of his burn there. And that goes all the way up his leg to his thigh. Um, so we took Edgar to the hospital, and uh, you can go to the next one. Um, and he stayed there for about two weeks. And the doctors, uh, and this is all through donations made to Sophie's Place, we were able to get him into the hospital, into the pediatric burn unit. And the doctors were able to do some skin grafting, and they were able to um, do the treatments that he needed. And this is the day that he was released. Because in Kenya, if you can't pay your bill, you're not released from the hospital until you can. So we were able to pay his bill through donations. Um, and so this is the day he was released. You can go on to the next one. This is his family. This is his mother, Violet, actually works for me. And this is, and that's his father, um, the what is his name? Patrick. Sorry. <laughs> That's his father, Patrick. Um, and this is just a son. And we had to be uh, really careful because um, I actually couldn't be a part of the process of releasing him at all. Because if they saw that I was a part of it, they probably would have charged him more. I, I Since I had taken him to the... Um, it's a government... You're only supposed to be able to pay... Um, if you can't pay anything... To be admitted, you're only supposed to pay 100 shillings because it's a government hospital. However, when I because I took him to the emergency room, they initially tried to charge them $250. So I really couldn't be a part of the releasing process at all, so I'd just been waiting there. And, and you can go to the next one. So after, the, um, after he was released from the hospital, we brought him back to Sophie's place. And we actually um, had a volunteer nurse come in. Uh, her name is Lynn. And she's doing a medical mission trip. And Lynn, came, Lynn uh, came with a lot of supplies for us, including gloves, bandages, cream, ointment, whatever he needed. And she also instructed us on how to change his bandages ourselves so we could save money and not have to take him to the doctor to change his bandages. We just did it ourselves. So that's why she was there. You can go to the next one. And then this, he, when I found him, he was in bed and he couldn't walk at all. And after a month, this is what. So many aha moments happen. Is that other video playing? That's such a blessing that we get to live in this place and serve people in this environment. We'll get it. Maybe just rewind and start again. And so after a month, you can see he's dancing around. He's having a great time. <laughs> he loves the song, I don't know why, but he loves it. <laughs> so we try to <laughs> so, yeah, this just repeats. So you could just stop it now. 
So you can see that after a month of um, being in the hospital and being in Sophie's place, through your donations, we were able to um, heal him. And now he's in school. He's doing fine. He's got some scars. But um, if, you, if it hadn't been for your donations, he would have ended up a lot worse. It could have been um, gangrene involved. There could have been uh, fevers involved with infection. He most likely would have gotten an infection because they don't live in very sanitary conditions. So um, through all your donations, you can see that you were, and this is, this is him going home. <laughs> this is the day he went home. So um, do we have time for one more? Okay. Um, the next one I'm going to tell you about is uh, Baby Peter. And this woman, um, her name was Anne, and she allowed me to name the baby. And so I chose to name him uh, after my father. So his name is... Peter Johnson Wenjiru. So, <laughs> um, so this is uh, this is Anne, and these are her three sons. And I'm sorry, I don't remember their names, but uh, they actually lived across the street from me. And you can see their their house right there. Um, Anne, when I found her, was over nine months pregnant, so she was ready to give birth, and she was going to give birth in this house here. So, um, I helped with the donations that you all have been sending. I've been helping her. Uh, we helped her get into a hospital. You can do the... Okay, well, this is just the next picture of her. This is um, outside her house here, and this is a, a one-and-a-half-room house, and seven people lived in there. Okay. This is just a picture. Um, the boys had never eaten chocolate before, so I brought them chocolate bars, and this is just a picture of their reaction to eating chocolate for the first time. <laughs> um, so here she is in the hospital. It's called St. Mary's. It's a, it's a health clinic, and... Um, it has a birthing room, and it has folks that know uh, how to give birth in a sterile condition. So um, we were able to take her from that house that she was in and help her have her baby in a sterile environment. So you can. And uh, it, it was surprising. It only took one day. Uh, she gave birth to the baby overnight, and I went the next morning, and this is me with baby Peter. So this is baby Peter. <laughs> And then you can just go to the next one. And then um, <laughs> a lot of uh, the babies here have um, car seat tests, but the babies in Kenya have winter clothing tests because it's, it's, very, clo it's very cold. They always think it's cold, so they want to make sure their babies stay warm, and they want to make sure that they're not going to be affected by all that clothing. So with, the don with some of the, do the donations, we were able to go out and get him a little outfit. We got him a little hat and a sweater and a little onesie. And so, yeah. So, I think, yeah, and um, I was actually the, um, I was actually an emergency foster parent for about a week for these three boys. It was the longest week of my life <laughs> because they, <laughs> they didn't live in a house like mine. They didn't live with, with electricity or running water, so they didn't not, they did not know how to take, they didn't know how to go to the bathroom in a toilet, let alone take a shower in an action, in, in the bathroom. So my bathroom was flooded. And they kept flushing the toilet because they thought that was the neatest thing. They'd never seen that before. So then that got flooded. And, you know, you have to watch them at all times. And <laughs> and so, and then this is just um, them. You can see he's not too happy with his new little brother. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. But um, so this is, a, this is them. And they've actually moved on. Um, she wanted the baby to stay with me, but... Um, it just didn't work out that way, and so now she's actually moved on with her family to 
another house where she's living with relatives and is very happy. So that's pretty much all I have to say. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak today. Um, and I just, I just pray that all of you are doing well and that you have much health and much happiness. So thank you. Thank you.